0: now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It's a great day because it's greater than yesterday, which wasn't such a great day uh, for the Republican Party, uh, for the House of Representatives of the United States, or for American institutions generally. We had a Speaker of the House who was driven from his office, the office taken away from him, based on a 4% of the um, members, his fellow Republican members in the Republican conference in the House, and 96% support from his own party. It wasn't enough to save Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy. So what happens next? And what do we do to avoid this kind of event from repeating itself? Uh, Ari Fleischer has been there. He's been part of every kind of presidential struggle, uh, congressional struggle, uh, changes back and forth and up and down in Washington. He was press secretary for President George W. Bush. And Ari, uh, you have compared what happened yesterday to things that were handled very differently and much better uh, during the time that uh, you were part of the process in Washington. Explain. Well, change is
0: not new, Michael. I mean, when I was press secretary, Trent Lott was the Senate Majority Leader, Republican senator from Mississippi, and as a result of a bunch of events, he had to resign his position. It was tumultuous, but then he was replaced, and we moved forward. But we moved forward with a disciplined party that also had a five-vote House majority for George Bush, but they were able to pass legislation and get things done because they stuck together and they recognized the biggest opponents were not each other but were the Democrats. And they were able to do the job. And the modern Republican Party, with its five-vote majority in the House, has now succumbed to Matt Gates. the power of Matt Gates, And what I object to in that is Matt Gates is for accomplishing nothing, absolutely nothing. There used to be a political party called the Know-Nothings, and Matt Gates wants to lead a modern-day party called the Accomplished nothings He cannot deliver a pizza. He can't deliver anything without Democratic <laughs> votes. And that's what he and his seven rebels did. They threw out a conservative Republican speaker, not a perfect one, but a conservative one, they threw him out with the votes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the Democrats. That's how Matt Gates got power.
1: Uh, Ari Fleischer is the author of the new book, Suppression, Deception, Snobbery and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. We've posted information about the book on our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, Ari, as, as I recall... Uh, Trent Lott, one of the big issues with him was he had spoken to honor the aging Strom Thurmond and had, had implied that Strom Thurmond had deserved support when he ran as a Dixie Dixiecrat candidate back in 1948. In other words, he had done something that was wrong. I think one of the things about the situation with uh, Speaker McCarthy is he did something right and actually heroic in preventing our government from shutting down in a totally purposeless government shutdown? And he was punished for that? Does that right. uh, concern you?
0: That's why I refer to the, this new movement of Matt Gates as the accomplished nothings. This is what they want to do. And the problem is, it is reflective, Michael, of the modern split in the Republican grassroots today. You have people who do think compromise is a dirty word. Even though you only have a five-vote margin in the House and you don't control the Senate, you don't control the White House, but you just must never compromise. Force the Senate, force Biden to do it exactly the Republican way. Good luck with that. And if compromise is a dirty word on one side, the the other side— would like to accomplish deeper cuts, would like to get these things done, but they don't have the votes. The votes aren't there, given the fact that the people elected a Republican House with five votes. So what you end up with is a group of the Republican that says, burn it down, let Rome fall, shut it all down, no aid to Ukraine, deeper cuts in spending, eliminate the debt, I don't care. And you have another group that tries to govern and says, okay, great, but we don't have the votes. So what's plan B? And that was really where Kevin McCarthy was in and, and 196, or more than that, Republicans, more than 200 Republicans. You just had eight Republicans who said, "Burn, let Rome burn down. And now Rome is burning.
1: And uh, what next? What what can be done? Because a number of people have commented that right now, apparently, Steve Scalise, the, uh, the majority leader in the House of Representatives, and... Jim Jordan, who's the chairman of the Rules Committee, of the Judiciary Committee in the House, they have both expressed interest in the speakership. Uh, Do you expect that there will be others who step forward, or should people, before they take on the new speakership, demand some changes so that this process doesn't repeat itself?
0: Yeah, they absolutely have to demand changes. I I don't understand why anybody would want to be speaker if any one member can rise and make a motion to vacate to that floor, vacate the speaker's office. And then again, they rely on the Democrats. The Democrats will always vote to vacate a Republican speaker, always. So if any one Republican can trigger it, you have now put the House control in the hands mostly of the Democrats. So if I were Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise, both of whom would make excellent, good conservative speakers, I would insist that that be raised to 10 or 20, which is really the way it used to be, and not let any one person have that power.
1: And in terms of the the upcoming election, which will not only determine who's the next president of the United States, but will determine control of the House. The events of the last couple of days have made it much more difficult for the Republicans to add to their majority or maybe even to keep any majority at all, don't you think?
0: Maybe, maybe not. I do think there are bigger factors at play so long as this gets resolved. But the, the biggest fear for me for House Republicans is they had that terrible battle in January to get organized and elect a speaker. Now they're going through it again. What's to say it won't happen in three or four months if Matt Gates is upset? What's to say won't happen to the next speaker and the next speaker? We have a rotating set of speakers. And if your philosophy is, I want it all my way, and I don't care that the Senate is Democrat or that Biden's a Democrat. I'm against the Constitution. I just want whatever the House Republicans want to pass to become law. If that's your view, the next speaker is going to be unsuccessful too because somebody has to compromise. Somebody's got to get into a conference committee with the Senate and cut a deal. Somebody's got to get something that Biden signs. Otherwise, it's nihilism. And our founders did not build a system based on nihilism. They built a system based on principle and eventual compromise. And compromise is not a dirty word. It might be to Matt Gates, but Matt Gates is part of the Accomplished Investment Caucus.
1: Okay, speaking of uh, where there have been real accomplishments, we are now in the midst of the baseball playoffs. Ari, I I know you're a dedicated (laughs) fan. Uh, Who's going to make it to the World Series?
0: Oh, my, I'm such a Yankee fan that this is painful for me that we're not even in the playoffs. Um, I'm probably for the Orioles or the Twins just because we haven't talked about them in so long. So they're kind of my underdog AL teams.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And NL. NL, I don't care. It's
0: the NL, as long as the AL wins, th- that's that's all I want. Okay. Well, there
1: you go. <laughs> I I mean, it's tough to to see past the Atlanta Braves, fairly formidable. So is Ari Fleischer. His new book: Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias: Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. Posted our website at michaelmedved.com dot com. The Pirates, not of the Caribbean, the Pirates of San Francisco Bay. Coming up.
0: Your outlet for outrage. I'm not going to take this anymore. The Michael Medved Show.
1: I'm not sure flowers in your hair will do it in terms of protecting you if you go to San Francisco. There is a crime epidemic in the city by the Golden Gate and throughout the bay area in fact and it now has include, included the waters of san francisco bay there's a piece in the new york post that is actually shocking it's about the pirates of san francisco who um are apparently uh no they're not the pirates of the caribbean they don't have that kind of pizzazz it's uh not errol flynn in uh, the Seahawk or uh, any of those classic pirate movies. It's not Pirates of Penzance. This is the homeless pirates of San Francisco Bay. Uh, The piece in the New York Post says, houseboat and yacht residents in the San Francisco Bay have sounded off about incidents of piracy skyrocketing by marauders pillaging and plundering their watercraft and even stealing entire boats. As the uh, Bay Area faces a crime crisis, uh, multiple vessels have been stolen and ransacked. Victims had to resort to personally confronting the criminals to recover their property without the benefit of police support. Is this appropriate activity for a 79-year-old senior? That's what one resident told uh, the press as she kayaked over to assist a man who was calling for help Tuesday night. They're yelling, help me, help me, please, please, anybody help me. And I go out there in my kayak with a headlamp, and there's a sailboat drifting down the estuary. And with my kayak, I towed it to shore, said the woman, who did not reveal her name, because she was afraid of retaliation from the pirates. The sailor in need was a panicked and terrified young man who said pirates had cut his line during a confrontation. Thieves have been stealing boats or using old abandoned dinghies to board large ships and yachts in the Oakland Alameda estuary, residents say. If there had been any wind at the time, I wouldn't have been able to go out there and rescue this young man, the woman said. The troubling piracy trend has struck the Alameda Community Sailing Center where four of their safety boats, which are worth between 25000 and 35000 each, had been stolen. Uh, this is unreal. The response we received from the Alameda Police Department was they could do nothing to protect us. And uh, a warning not to approach the perpetrators if we located our boats said uh, a boat owner, Kame Richards. Uh, We called them right after it happened, the police department, and they said, wait, wait, we'll send an officer. It's dinner time and there's still no officer. Then they said, they can't help us, and their best advice is to find the boats but don't approach the perpetrators. That's uh, uh, what uh, they have been faced. They they suggest that... uh, The police were addressing the piracy complaints with an increase of patrols and efforts to educate the seafaring community. Some residents believe the influx of crime in the Oakland estuary, the channel that separates Oakland from the suburban island community of Alameda, is coming from homeless residents in Oakland. One person voiced their suspicions last month after noticing more small boats tied up around a homeless camp in the city's Union Point Park. Oakland, a city of 433,000, is now home to more than 9,700 homeless people, a 22% increase since before the COVID pandemic. Uh, I I do think that... uh, It's certainly anyone who is in a challenged position without a home of their own will turn to crime when they're desperate, said one commentator. Uh, Officer Kaleel Abeno uh, said, fighting crime out there on the water is tough, as we only have one full-time Marine officer, and that's myself. Violent crime in San Francisco altogether has surged 12% last month. Compared to August of 2022, according to uh, statistics from the San Francisco Police Department, with robbery up a whopping 31 percent. This is uh, uh, clearly not going well. And it's one of the reasons that uh, London Breed, who is the mayor of San Francisco right now, is uh, facing a very tough re-election battle with uh, the, the very real prospect that it may be like the situation in Chicago where Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, got replaced by someone even more left-wing than her. And London Breed apparently is, at least in San Francisco terms, fairly moderate. And she may be defeated by someone even further to the left. Speaking of further to the left and craziness associated with it, there is a new poll that shows that a shocking number of French citizens support banning people from flying more than four times in a lifetime due to climate change. A uh, poll from research firm Consumer Science and Analytics Institute (CSA) found that 41% of French citizens would support that kind of legal limit. That number rose to 59% uh, among younger people 18 to 24 years old. The suggested limit proposed by engineer Jean-Marc Ajankovic would apply to air travel for business and pleasure. The poll surveyed a 1,000 French residents over the age of 18. It found that support for air travel restrictions was far higher among younger age groups. Blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine uh, agreeing to limit your lifetime air flights to four times?
2: How dare you?
1: While a majority opposed the four-flight lifetime limit of 64%, 65% of the respondents said they would be willing to limit their air travel in the near or medium term to combat climate change. Climate we will activists protest. Climate activists across the globe have pushed for wide-ranging restrictions aimed at reducing carbon emissions from limiting car travel to banning plastic straws. Okay, what this is, indicates is one of many many reasons we should say every day thank god I'm an american uh, can you imagine supporting the government limiting your ability to fly to one place or another uh, based on a, a lifetime uh, limiting you to what what if you've already used up your four <laughs> lifetime flights it's bizarre. Uh, Americans are different in our expectations, our demands, and our commitment to our liberties. We'll be right back.
0: The greatest show on God's green earth. Whoa,
1: <laughs> how, how
0: gross and evil is that? It's The Michael Medved Show. one 800 The Michael <laughs> deeply
1: honored to receive the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, we not only have uh, the recurrence of piracy, of stealing uh, legally owned craft that belonged to somebody else in the waters of San Francisco Bay, we have the uh, prospect of something else that brings us back into the past, and it may not be a past that we really want to go back to, uh, a war with Mexico. Is that what we need? Uh, There's a piece by Maggie Haberman and uh, Jonathan Swan in the New York Times. And it points out that the first time Donald Trump talked privately about shooting missiles into Mexico to take out drug labs, as far as his former aides can recall, was in early 2020. And the first time those comments became public was when his second defense secretary, Mark Esper, who's been a guest on this show a couple of times, wrote in his memoir that Mr. Trump had uh, raised with him and asked if uh, the United States could make it look as if some other country was responsible for sending missiles against the drug labs of the cartels. Uh, Mr. Esper Portrayed the ideas as ludicrous and dangerous. Excuse me? Uh, yeah. Um, on the uh, presidential campaign trail and on the GOP debate stage in California last week, nearly every Republican candidate has been advocating versions of a plan to send U.S. special operations troops into Mexican territory to kill or capture drug cartel members and destroy their labs and distribution centers. And Which is fine, which is obviously an appropriate thing to do if we're working in cooperation with uh, the Mexican authorities. Uh, We've done that in Colombia. We actually made real success against the crack cocaine epidemic and uh, the other import of drugs into this country by giving incentives and working together with the Colombian military against uh, some of those drug labs and the cartels that were operating there. But to do this against the will of uh, the Mexican <laughs> Mexican government is incredibly dangerous, don't you think? On Capitol Hill, uh, Republican lawmakers have drafted a broad authorization for the use of military force against cartels, echoing the war powers that Congress gave former President George W. Bush before the invasion of Afghanistan. That went well. And Iraq. Uh, They have also pushed for designating Mexican cartels as foreign terrorist organizations, a related idea Mr. Trump flirted with as president, but backed off after Mexico hotly objected. Now, if Mr. Trump returns to the White House in 2025... He has vowed he will push for the designations and he will immediately deploy special operations troops and naval forces to, as he put it, declare war on the cartels. The uh, plans have angered officials in Mexico. Its president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has denounced the proposal as outrageous and unacceptable. It has been more than a century since the United States sent military personnel into Mexico without the Mexican government's assent. Uh, Mexico has a bitter history with American interference. Much of the southwestern United States, of course, was part of Mexico before the United States took it by force in the middle of the 19th century. To this day, Mexico generally does not allow U.S. agents with guns to carry out operations on its soil, in contrast to other Latin American countries that have agreed to joint operations with the Drug Enforcement Administration and invited the American government to help train, equip, and assist their own security forces. Now, there's a big election coming up. There will be a new president of Mexico, but neither of the two candidates, both of whom are women, by the way, are likely to agree to accepting a U.S. invasion of Mexico. And one of the things that they don't mention in this article, but it seems to me incredibly obvious, if there is a great deal of fighting going on, In Mexico, on Mexican territory, uh, it will only increase the number of desperate people who are leaving Mexico and trying to come to the United States. In other words, if uh, there, there are Republicans who are actually calling for... What would be a war against Mexico? First of all, it's economically disastrous. Mexico is our uh, second largest, I uh, may be our largest trading partner. Uh, the economies are interlocked. And if we are involved in a war situation with Mexico, and, and what about the Republicans, and there are some, who are bitterly worried and opposed to the war in Ukraine. But the war in Ukraine It's the other side that did an unprovoked invasion. You could say, well, this invasion has been provoked because the Mexicans can't get control of their cartels. All right, so offer them help to get rid of the cartels, which would benefit Mexico a great deal. Uh, The idea has taken a life of its own on Capitol Hill. More than 20 House Republicans have uh, proposed – co-sponsored legislation that would enact a broad authorization for the use of military force against nine named cartels. The proposed authorization for a war would end after five years. And how many hundreds of thousands of more desperate immigrants and destruction to, to our economy with, with a country that's right next door? The proposed authorization for war would end after five years unless Congress enacted a new bill to extend the war beyond five years. Can you imagine? But its otherwise loose nature uh, resembles the broad war authorizations Congress enacted after the 2001 terrorist attacks and ahead of the 2003 Iraq war. Here's another problem. Right now, we have a recruiting problem for the U.S. military. It's a profound problem. We talked about this with the Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. And uh, right now, Latino Americans are overrepresented among recruits. They are more likely to enlist in our peacetime army than, uh, than any other ethnic group. And uh, okay, so w- what happens there? Uh, you're going to be taking Mexican Americans or uh, Americans from other uh, Hispanic countries and sending them to war in Mexico? Really? As Mexico heads to a historic presidential election next year, when voters are expected to choose between two leading candidates who are women, whoever gets elected will most likely need to handle the tensions created by the war talk in the Republican Party. Rather than threats, uh, we should work in a smart way, said Jotil Galvez, a Mexican senator who's been chosen as the opposition's candidate and has openly rejected Mr. Lopez Obrador's security strategy, adding that The hugs have been for the criminals and the bullets for the Mexican citizens. Okay, so you can work with someone like that. And uh, she is certainly the least leftist of the two candidates that are coming forward. But Ms. Galvez has also criticized the American proposals to invade Mexico. Well, what do you think? And called for shared and responsible cooperation. We can't keep blaming each other, she said. Uh, Honestly, is a a war with Mexico what we need right now? Well, I guess the idea would be, well, it'll unite the people. We'll be right back.
0: Join your champions for free market reform in Washington State. Washington Policy...
1: On the Michael Medved show, it's hard to see how anyone can think what has just happened in the House of Representatives with the Speaker being driven from office with a united vote against him by the Democrats in the House and uh, eight Republicans out of 222 who serve in the House also voting against Speaker McCarthy. That was the end of him. What does it mean politically? How is it a victory for anyone? Uh, That's one of the questions that was asked about uh, of President Biden. He was asked about uh, Speaker McCarthy today, and he answered uh, the question about the fact that he hasn't spoken directly to McCarthy in a while. This is clip 10
0: the two of you haven't spoken directly in a long time why is that and are you committed to engaging more regularly with the next house speaker
2: we had two agreements we shook hands with on, uh, and uh i uh, assumed he was working with the, i knew he was working with the democrats in the house and senate it wasn't for me to uh, do anything if he wanted to talk to me i was available i'm available he never wants to talk to me but the idea that i was going to somehow convince mccarthy to change his view was not reasonable
1: okay the the question was it wasn't uh, changing mccarthy's view mr president uh if president biden had urged oh even 10 out of uh, 212 uh, democrats in the house of representatives if he had urged even 10 of them uh to vote present uh, or not to vote against mccarthy he would still be speaker and it probably would have been better for the president of the united states and for the country at large he uh, uh also was asked about the impact of uh, funding on the future of ukraine because Remember, the last deal that McCarthy made, the deal for a continuing resolution, had taken out the $6 billion beforehand that had been included in federal spending packages for immediate relief for the Ukrainians and to help them buy ammunition. Here's President Biden on that messed up situation, clip 11. Does your disarray on
0: Capitol Hill after your conversation with allies yesterday worry you that you won't be able to deliver the aid that the U.S. has promised to Ukraine?
2: It does worry me. And, but I know there are a majority of members of the House and Senate in both parties who have said that they support funding Ukraine. With your, uh, I'm going to be announcing very shortly a major speech I'm going to make on this issue and why it's critically important for the United States and our allies that we keep our commitment.
1: And uh, then he spoke about dysfunction and the fact that uh, the situation in Washington seems to be suddenly chaotic. Uh, Clip 12. Mr.
3: President, are you also concerned about the rest of your... Uh, domestic and foreign policy initiatives being imperiled in because of what we saw happen yesterday, the dysfunction in Congress, uh, the chaos that we saw on the House side. Does that concern you in any way?
2: The dysfunction always concerns me. The programs that uh, we have uh, argued over, we passed bipartisanly, I'm not concerned that they're going to all of a sudden come in and try to undo them, although there will be some. There will be some, I'm sure. There's a half a dozen or more extreme Maggie Republicans Republicans who would like to eliminate just about everything I've done. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that's gonna get there.
1: And uh Nancy Mace, who is one of those elite eight, if you will, who uh voted against uh Kevin McCarthy and continuing his speakership. Nancy Mace is a Republican from South Carolina, and she'd been considered something of a rising star in Republican circles. But after yesterday, where she was the only Republican with a claim to a status as a mainstreamer or a moderate, as opposed to people are part of the rage caucus. Uh, she made this explanation about why she ended up voting against Kevin McCarthy, which sounds to me surprisingly personal. Uh, this is clip 13A, Nancy I Mace. I tell
3: you, as a woman, I have been fighting for women's rights since before I ever came to Congress. And when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I continued that fight and I have made deals with Kevin McCarthy with the speaker that he has not kept to help women in this country and we have done nothing for them. And I come from South Carolina, when you shake my hand and you make a promise and you don't keep it, there are consequences to those actions. And as a woman who has been fighting my party on this issue to be made promises that we're gonna work to get women greater access to birth control, and we don't do it, and now we're 10 months in and we don't have time to do it, or as a survivor of rape, and I worked all year on a rape kit bill that hasn't seen the time of day, I cannot tell you how frustrating that is as a woman in this conference in this capital to have that happen like i i if you make a promise you should keep it and if you promise women you're going to help them then you damn well better do it so as a fiscal conservative I'm, I'm angry as a woman i am deeply frustrated and i just you know that is the consequence of that behavior and i want the american people to trust the speaker when the speaker makes a promise to either side of the aisle they ought to keep it
1: okay on the abortion issue What she seems to be talking about is that she was angry at uh, Speaker McCarthy because he followed the wishes of the overwhelming majority, the Republican Congress, which is not to have a new bill guaranteeing national abortion rights. In other words, to have a legislative version of Roe v. Wade and the fact that he held off. Uh, putting that up for a vote that would probably have been lost by conservatives and lost by the Republican majority, uh, it doesn't seem to me means that he was unqualified to be speaker representing the majority of his caucus, which voted for him 96 uh, percent, Really? Uh, Meanwhile, you may vote for a critically acclaimed movie that is just now released yesterday on DVD and Blu-ray. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A young actress named Amber Midthunder plays a Comanche maiden 300 maiden hundred years ago, using her remarkable skills as a hunter to face down an alien predator that has landed on Earth in Prey. Now streaming on Hulu.
3: There's something out there. I'm trying to let you.
1: You can't. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? This is the fifth installment of the popular Predator series, and the scientific elements, despite skillful special effects, are among the least convincing parts of the movie. What works much better is a haunting, respectful recreation of Native American life in the sparsely settled interior of the raw continent. The young and effective cast is almost entirely Native American, but a particularly charismatic canine star not only helps to save the day, but manages to steal the show, rated R for sometimes and disturbing violence, this is an impressive calling card for rising director Dan Trachtenberg. Two and a half stars for Prey. And speaking of Prey and uh, prayer, uh, which party has the advantage on issues at a time when both parties are deeply disliked? This according to a new Gallup poll. We'll tell you who is um using the issues to most advantage next time on the Medved show. And there is a new Pew survey that shows that most Americans favor maximum age limits for federal officials and Supreme Court justices. Does that amount to ageism or has the time come for compulsory retirement? We'll have uh, Andy McCarthy, uh, former prosecutor, legal expert, talking about Trump's trial, where it's going and what it means. And why is President Trump uh, attending so regularly? It's not required that he do so. We'll also be speaking with David Frum about uh, fantasy colliding with reality for the GOP. Is that the essence of the problem with Republican leadership? He uh, says that it is. Uh, And then we'll also be talking about a new Gallup poll. A shocker that shows that support for third party in the United States has soared up to 63 percent who would like to see that kind of party functioning this coming year. That would be a very.